Hi everyone. Since recording this episode just over a week ago, we have a new Prime Minister and a new Environment Secretary. The new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has mentioned the environment in a slightly more promising way, but there has still been no solid confirmations or direct answers to the questions we mentioned in this podcast, though he has at least reinstated the moratorium on fracking. Theresa Kofi is the new Environment Secretary. She was at DEFRA between 2016 and 2019, but she infamously posted a tweet singing the praises of the glyphosate pesticide Roundup. So it remains to be seen what her attitude to the environment will be. So in summary, despite all the changes in government, the concerns mentioned in this podcast have not gone away. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast. My name's Neil Phillips and we're joined today by Tony Whitehead. Hello, Tony. Hello. Tony, can you explain to the listeners who you are and what it is you do? Yeah. So, Tony Whitehead, I work for the RSPB where I'm one of the communications managers for England, which means I deal with lots of things to do with the press and to do with our social media accounts, all of that sort of stuff. So that's what I do. I've been working for the RSPB since... 1989, so a very, very long time. Wow, that's quite long. That's only five years after I was born, <laughs> just to make you feel nice and young. Nice there and we go. young. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So we're going to be talking about the attack on nature, which most of the listeners will know about now because I mentioned it in the last two episodes and it's been all over the news. But we'll start, as we always do, with our latest wildlife sightings or highlights. So have you had any nice recent sightings? Well, yes. So today I live in North East Dartmoor, a town called Chag, and today I had the first red wing overhead, which was, which was great. It's that time, it's that turning of the year, and we're definitely into autumn now, and that's, that's a real good sign of the, the, the arrival of autumn properly when you hear that little tiny little seep call in the air high above you, and you know that the red wings are in. And it's great. It's great. So it's almost like the the return of I don't know swallows and cuckoos round here. It's one of those moments you know the year has turned when you hear the first red wing. And I'm sure over the next few days we'll be hearing the first field fair as well. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I do like the. As much as I, I'm not a big fan of autumn and winter because the insects and reptiles go go missing mostly. I do like the winter thrushes. They are lovely to see. I'm going sort of in the opposite direction. The last dregs of summer, I suppose. Oh, is it the same? I'm thinking of the last end of summer rather than the start of autumn. I've been looking at dragonflies, shockingly. It was up in North Essex and Doors Hall. And I was looking across the pond yesterday. Sun was quite low in the sky because, you know, it's getting on a bit now in the year. And I could just see all the dragonflies' wings glistening. Pretty much all common darters, but the odd migrant hawker among them. It's always nice to see. It's like the last hurrah for them, but it is a nice good hurrah there's quite a lot of common data around at the moment still so lovely lovely to see yeah lovely to see well, my last one last year i think was the 25th of november so that's the record to beat this year we'll see is that a changing climate perhaps i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean you do always go at the odd one late but they were being seen across the southeast that mm. late so that, yeah, that was yeah. a bit unusual we'll move on to the main topic the attack on nature so just to bring people up to speed in case they're not aware of this or they're listening sometime in the future so they might have forgotten about it but in september the government announced a number of policies 
that caused a lot of alarm and triggered an unprecedented response from the RSPB, the Wildlife Trust and the National Trust, probably the three biggest conservation NGOs in the country. Now the Woodland Trust have joined them, along with a number of other conservation NGOs. So why have they reacted this way? Yeah, well, what happened three weeks ago was... Well, firstly, there was a bill tabled in Parliament by Jacobs Rees-Mogg, and it's got, it's got a, an unlikely title. It's called the Retained EU Law Bill. So it's quite techy, but what essentially the Retained EU Law Bill does is it takes all those pieces of EU-derived law, of which there are thousands, and it says that if these are not repealed or reviewed by the end of next year they will disappear off the statute books they will disappear they simply will not be law anymore beyond the end of december 2023 now these eu derived laws even though they're written into british law they're pretty fundamental to all sorts of things and it's not just nature i'll come into nature in a second but it's things like workers rights there's lots of stuff in these laws about workers rights there's lots of stuff about food and food safety but what we were looking at was what this meant or potentially means for a whole bundle of legislation to do with the environment so things like water framework regulations bathing water quality all these things are eu derived law and they at least help in terms of bathing water regulations to help give people a judgment over whether bathing water is is polluted or not the water framework directive at least tries to help keep sewage out of rivers But the one that we were particularly concerned about and what really started to kick off the anger, and it was anger, was the potential to once again attack the habitats regulations. And the habitats regulations have done more to protect wildlife in this country than probably any other piece of legislation over the last 30 years. And they're absolutely fundamental. And what the regulations do, essentially they establish a set of wildlife-rich places around the country which are either the special areas of conservation or the special protection areas. And there's a network of these around the country and around Europe. So these are continental sites. And it gives these places a very basic protection. And it asks developers, firstly, it simply asks developers the question, do you have to build here? And if the answer is that, well, we don't really need to build here, they have to go somewhere else. Which is like, how completely reasonable is that? But if then they then say, well, we do actually have to build here. Then there are a couple of other tests. Well, can you work nature into your building development? And often the answer to that is yes, so they can find space for nature in, in the development. Or if they can't do that, they can compensate. They can provide some alternative habitat somewhere else. So it's these three, it's called, that's called the mitigation hierarchy in technical terms. And it's the most reasonable way of approaching this. And it has literally protected these places and the wildlife that depends on them for the last 30 years. And it's good. And it's been tested as well. It's been tested so many times. George Osborne attacked it back in 2012, said it was gold-plated, ordered a review. The review happened and it came out. Yep, it's absolutely fine. It works. In fact, it could work even better. Then it was reviewed by the European Union back in the mid, about 2015-2016. Same thing, this works absolutely fine. In fact, it could be a bit better. And there have been a couple of other reviews. And so it's been tested and tested and tested. And it completely works. It protects nature. It gives business confidence so that they know where to build and where not to build. And it's absolutely fine. Trouble with it is, it's a regulation. And there's a lot of people out there now that just do not like regulations. Do not like being... It's a kind of a, I don't like being told what to do. It's that kind of attitude. And so 
there's this deregulation agenda over there and this is the latest part of that deregulation agenda so that's that's the first thing that we were really concerned about the chance that once again these regulations are opened up reviewed and just taken off statute book and then we lose this basic protection so a quick example places like well, we take the southeast take the south coast brent geese when they arrive here in in the uk largely spend most of their winters on PAs on special protection areas if you take away the protection those brent geese have got no no protection you can build literally you could build on those sites without a bio leave that's the first one that's the habitats regulations the second one is investment zones and it kind of ties into the first one there this is a, a an idea investment zones have been around in different forms for, for many, many years. They used to be called enterprise zones, before that special planning zones. But this one is like these zones on steroids. And for the first time, housing is in the mix with these things as well. And the idea with these is you have a number of these zones around the country and it's to boost growth and boost the economy, which is in itself obviously is fine to boost growth and boost the economy. But what they're saying within these zones is there will be relaxed planning rules. Now that's like alarm bells go off everywhere, alarm bells go off, because what do you mean relaxed planning rules? What's wrong with the current system? The current system kind of works. It may be a tad bureaucratic, but what we fear is that the baby being thrown out with the bathwater here with this one. If you start to relax planning rules in these places, what does that mean for nature? Again, do, are you essentially setting up zones around the country where it's a planning free-for-all, where they just don't have to do the surveys, they don't have to even ask about nature? So that's our fear for this. And, you know, we've had a lot of kickback from government and from MPs about this. And many of them have been saying, well, you don't know what, then it's all speculation and everything. But the more we find out, the more we find that our original fears were actually founded in some fact. That even with the scant information we've got so far, they're not talking about nature in these places. They're not talking about protecting nature in these places. And they've got to start doing that. And then the third one, just quickly, is to do with farming. So at the same time as these things to do with Habs regs and the retained EU law and investment zones came up, there was the third one, which was talk of taking away some basic support to help ambitious farmers who wanted to put nature back in the countryside through something called the ELM scheme, the Environment Land Management Scheme, which has been in design basically since Brexit. DEFRA have worked massively hard on this and there was a fear, and there still is a fear, that this whole thing is going to be restructured and it will not work as well for nature. And remember, these schemes are underpaid by taxpayers' money, your money and my money, goes to pay farmers. What are we paying farmers to do? And so there's a fear that the money will not go to help nature or storing carbon or providing clean water. It'll just go to underpin food production. Now we all need food, but we've got to have nature as well because the, the two things you have to have together. And so we're really concerned that the, that the cash is taken away from providing those things that you call the public goods, your nature, your carbon, your clean water, and put into just giving money for because farmers own a bit of land so in a nutshell and i don't think that was a nutshell that's <laughs> that's <laughs> what we're worried about in a very large nutshell in a coconut shell that's and that's why we were so angry because of all of those things and they all piled in at once yeah it seemed to be one thing after another in fact news update podcast i did actually came out on the friday in the middle of that so the elm stuff hadn't even been announced that, that that's right we got onto that on, on the friday but we started off with with the things about the planning stuff and the habs regs so yeah and they all piled in but in essence there are a few other worries we're concerned about biodiversity net gain about whether that is going to stay a thing that's where developers have to provide 10 percent or more in return for any development they do new nature so 10 percent 
and they have to pay for that so that's another thing that's on the cards there but it just seems there's so much and it literally it landed at once and it landed over that weekend and certainly you know as i was sitting here i was talking to colleagues and you know when we put that tweet out about being angry it's because we actually were (laughs) we were really angry about it because it's like not again come on you're not doing this you're not attacking the habitats regulations again give us a break and then everything else fell in on top of that and it was like this is this is nothing short of literally what we wrote which was an attack on nature in that first tweet because that's what it felt like yeah it literally was i mean moving on to the next question i suppose it sort of encompasses it we've seen quite obviously the environment secretary has had meetings with the nfu the very first thing he put out publicly was standing next to the nfu that's the national farmers union for those that don't know who claim to represent the farming community and there is some debate about that let's not go into that too much and then he appointed an environment minister that literally is part of a prominent part of the nfu have you had much direct communication from the government about these concerns so we we did we met with ronald jawedina the 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 new defra secretary of state and we've met with mark spencer as well who's the farming minister and Throughout this, what we were asking for was some assurances on things. But we were asking for some very, very specific assurances. And what we got, and what we still have, is some very vague assurances from government. You know, they keep talking about, they literally keep talking about the Environment Act and the ambition of the government to restore 30% of land for nature by 2030. They keep saying this, they keep saying this, and they keep referring to the Environment Act which of course is great and to be welcomed, but at the same time as saying this, they are literally dismantling the means by which you deliver that. And so what we wanted was some assurance on the means. And the means are things like the habitats. And it was a simple question, and it still remains a simple question for government. Will the habitats regulation still be on the statute book after the end of December next year? It's just a really simple question. Just say yes or no. Uh, give us assurance that it, that will be the case. We haven't heard that yet. We haven't heard that Elm Scheme will still will deliver for nature. We haven't heard that investment zones will not relax planning rules to such an extent it will damage nature. We haven't heard the detail. All we hear is, yes, the government is still committed to restoring 30% of land by 2030. And our question remains, well, how are you going to do that if you remove all these things? How on earth are you going to do that? So what can people do? What can people do to help make sure they do keep these regulations in place? And hopefully, who knows, improve them. Maybe that's severe optimism. but So this is, thinking about it, a bit about this this last, last few days specifically, and how is this different from other things? So the thing that people could do here is take part in the democratic process. And the democratic process, when you vote, you have a say in who represents you in Parliament. Now, it might not be the person you voted for, but nevertheless, that person is your representative. That representative the, the clue's in the word, isn't it? Represent. So if enough people in a constituency have a view that, actually, this isn't what this place wants here, we would like something different, then you represent your views to the MP, and then that MP should go to the House and represent your views. And that's the democratic process. That's how it should work. So the thing that we're keen on at this point is, is firstly for people to get in touch with their local MPs, either write to them, or hopefully soon, and we're going to start helping people do this, actually have face-to-face meetings with their MPs, to say that they care about nature, they love nature and wildlife, we're concerned about this, please can you represent our views in Parliament and vote accordingly on this. Now, in a way, that kind of sounds quite naive, doesn't it? It's quite, well, yeah, there's a lot of cynicism out there about well you know we've been writing to mps for years and it never works and everything like that 
But actually, if you look at quite a few campaigns that have been very, very specific, have actually worked over the years by the letter writing and the speaking to your MPs and lobbying and campaigning in Parliament. And there's many examples of this. And what they work best for is when your ask is very, very specific, often to do with legislation. So, and this is what this is, you know, we're asking for this thing that the Habs regs will stay on the statute books beyond the end of December next year. Very, very specific. So there is a chance that we can influence enough MPs to ensure that they vote in the right way when choices are presented in front of them about legislation. So that's the first thing that is really important. And what it's different from is where people are trying to make systemic change to whole systems, then I would probably agree that writing to your MP is probably not the best way to tackle global climate change. It has a role, but it's not going to be a major way of doing it. You have to find other ways to do that. But with specific things like this, the engagement with your local elected rep is still quite important. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is we will be asking people to support the second Walk for Wildlife at the end of November, which is 26, Saturday 26th of November, which is being organised by Chris Packham. And the point of doing that, again, it's just to demonstrate by sheer weight of numbers that nature is an important thing for people, just to actually stand up and be literally stand up and be counted and to be seen to be, you know, representing nature. Because, of course, nature has no voices. It needs voices. It needs our voices. So those are the two things we're asking. To take part in the democratic process and engage with your MP, plus stand up and be counted at the Walk for Wildlife at the end of end of November. I will be there myself, because mm-hmm. I, I don't live that far from London anymore. I think as well it's going to be around the country because that's that's one thing I think these things have to be really accessible for people and so one of the other things to mention is in this dialogue there may be some cynicism over whether say MPs from particular parties from the Conservative Party or whatever might not be listening to this sort of thing and we have had a lot of kickback when people have written to MPs especially from some not all but some Tory MPs about you know claiming that the environment sector is lying it's making it up and everything like that but don't be discouraged because I think there's a lot of MPs of all colours but certainly within the Conservative Party that do have the environment at heart and want to do the right thing and it's finding those people that want to do that and then to just encourage them to do that and stand by their own love of nature because a love of nature and stewardship of the environment is a Conservative value. Look at those centre ground One Nation Conservatives stewardship of the environment is a thing that they are concerned about so you know speak to them and get them to represent nature in what they do i was thinking about this my mp has been ignoring my emails Mm. but i'm also looking at the news and going well if i'm a tory mp right now even if i'm in a quote unquote safe seat Mm. not necessarily at the moment so they're going to be a bit more worried than normal because everything seems to be up in the air and if i'm in the opposition i'm going to be thinking oh this is an issue i can win a few yeah a few votes on and if you're getting 50 odd letters coming through or 100 letters coming through about this you might actually pay attention to it or at least your aid might (laughs) make you pay attention to it and it goes across the parties as well it could be a conservative member of parliament in one of the shire seats or it could be an urban labor mp up in the red wall somewhere it could literally be anybody and this really important as well to say that this isn't a party political thing for us it's about simply getting people to represent speak up be the voice of nature and use the democratic process to get the change that you need and so that's that's kind of in a nutshell what we're asking for there there's two nutshells i've had today 
I think that's a good nutshell to wrap it up on. We'll keep it short and sweet. Brilliant. And so there you go, guys. Write to your MP and join us on the Walk for Nature march. Simples. It'd be great talking to you and having someone that's properly keyed up on this. I explained the best I can in the old episode, but thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Hopefully I'll be able to speak to you at a later date on something a bit more cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> so we can speak about wildlife and Dartmoor. <laughs> yeah, oh, that'd be good. That'd be yeah. good. Cool. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that. Brilliant. Right. right, thanks so much, Tony. Cool, thank Cheers. you. And that's it from us, guys. See you in the next episode. You can follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Dartmoor, or one word. And there's regular updates on the Attack on Nature at the RSVB England account, which is RSVB England, all one word. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, all one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UK Wildlife Pod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips. The music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.